Father, I confess my need for you this morning. And anyone else who can agree with those words, Father, I pray that they would speak those things to you. They would confess it as well. God, we want to worship you. And we want to we hear from you and we want to learn from you and be taught by you. And then, God, we need your grace in order to live these things out. But Jesus, I pray that today by your Holy Spirit, on a topic that we can get so used to because we're told to do it so often, that God, especially those of us who've walked with you for a while, that this would not be old news. That we wouldn't just settle for what we've had, but we'd always want more. And the Holy Spirit, for those where this is something new, Father, I pray that you would take this feeble attempt at speaking and teaching your truth and awaken their souls to it. God, may we never tire of this, for it is the greatest thing we can do. And so, God, we commit this time to you and we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. So from the get-go, I'm just going to tell you what the whole message is about, or that one line. If I could get us to remember this one line, we're supposed to, I always hear people say, if you're going to be a speaker, if you want to do well in front of people, you save the one line to the end. So they have to, you just have to draw them into it and like, why? Let's just start there. Here it is. This, if you want to write it down, you can. You can. It's not, well, here it is. The most important thing in life is to love the one and only God. That's the most important thing. The most important thing in life is to love the one and only God. That's it. If we're, we're going to bring it down, what's the most important thing to God? And you're actually going to see it. It's not like just my opinion. This is actually when Jesus was asked the question, he gave this answer. And so before we jump into Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, we're actually going to take a, take a journey through Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. And it says this, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him which commandment is the most important of all. And so what's happening, just picture Jesus is standing there, and you've got Pharisees and Sadducees. So the Sadducees, I would say they're more political, they're the politicians of the day, but also they had, they had this belief in the, in the, the first five books, the law of the, of the Bible, but they didn't believe in the resurrection, they just, but they were just kind of religious. The Pharisees, we, they were just stone cold. You have to follow every little letter of the law, and in fact, they added laws to the laws of God so that people were kind of in bondage rather than living in the freedom that the commandments of God were supposed to bring. So Jesus is pretty much having a debate. It's Jesus against all of them. Just Jesus against them all. But notice the words that was used. When the scribe came up, that's a lawyer, and he heard them disputing with one another. Disputing is kind of a debate, kind of a heated exchange. What I love about this passage is that it shows us that Jesus has an opinion. I mean, it's one thing if we just sit there and say, okay, well, Jesus, Jesus just loves people, and he does. And then he says, just do whatever you want or live however you want because Jesus loves you. And guys, it's the furthest thing from the truth. Guys, when you read Old and New Testament, there are things called commandments that God gives to us. That God is the one who defines what is right and what is wrong, what is evil and what is good. There are things that people hold to doctrinally and theologically that Jesus will come up and stand against that and say, that is wrong. 
And so when he said that, go, it doesn't really matter. I mean, so long as you love God and you love people, it's true. Those are the great, that's the greatest commandment, number one and number two. But isn't it amazing that here's Jesus, and everyone's picturing Jesus just letting people off the hook, and here's Jesus disputing, disputing with all these religious leaders. So while they're saying something, he's standing against what they're saying. But also catch this, while Jesus is saying things, they're standing against what he is saying. And these are the religious ones. We would never do that, would we? That when God sets up commandments, we wouldn't look at them and say, well, that's not for today, or I don't really like that one, and so I'm gonna fight against Jesus? That the, that the word has now kind of become optional in certain places? Now, don't hear me wrong on this. Friends, there are parts in the scriptures, like when you look at the people of Israel, there were civil laws that were set up for Israel. It was for them, this is how you were to live as a nation. But it wasn't universal for everyone on the planet. This is, hey Israel, this is how you're going to put laws in place that you as a society can live together. But then there's also these moral laws that are universal, they're for everyone. Then there's ceremonial laws that, where God is saying, I want you to do these certain sacrifices or present these offerings in your worship of me. This is what I want you to do. Friends, when we read the scriptures, I believe every single word, every letter in this book is the word of God. And our, our goal is to apply it appropriately, to make sure that we're holding to the truths of what scripture is teaching us. But why is it so important to know the word? Because Jesus has an opinion. So my question to you is, do your opinions match up to Jesus' opinions or do we expect Jesus to change his opinions on things because we don't quite like them or we disagree with them? In other words, friends, there's a big push and there's always been a big push. It's not just for today. It's not just now this is what's happening. But all throughout human history, there's this push against God and his ways and it's called sin. And then the culture that doesn't follow God kind of wants to do their own thing. Or there's other, there's other groups that worship different gods, and so they want to worship their gods a certain way. And so we can't just sit and go, well, if, as long as they're being nice, they can do what they want, and then we'll do what we want, and we'll worship God. But if God's saying, there are no other gods, I know not of one, that means in the whole universe, in all of existence, there is no other God. And then we've been called to go and make disciples, people who will follow after Jesus, who is God, that's our mission. But the problem is there's this thing called sin. And a culture that goes without God creates its own, quote, creates its own ideology, which kind of leads into its own quote unquote theology. So when people say, well, I'm not religious, I don't believe in God. Yet everyone has something that they worship, whether it's themselves or something or someone else. Everyone worships something, isn't it weird? You're like, well, prove it, okay. So if, oh, when, when's the last time you've gone to a concert? And when, they, and when all of a sudden, and, and I'm not saying like a worship concert, I'm just saying a regular, regular concert. And then that band that you just grew up with in the 80s, and all the young ones are like, what? When was that? Shut up. So when you're in the 80s and you're listening to your, like, oh my gosh, that's them. And, and then they come out and they start that song and you're just like, yeah! And you're all into it and you've got your shirt on and you're singing with them. 
You're just directing your attention and your gaze and your focus and your worship, true, to something else. And I'm not saying that because you sing a song, sing along with a song that you're automatically worshiping them. But if you look around the room, aren't there many who are? They change the way they look, they change the way they talk, especially if it's like an 80s hair band, like that little crazy, what, is that what they're called, hair bands? My brother's all into those. It's like, oh, really? He actually, like, he'll go to a concert and put on a wig, and I'm like, you are bald. <laughs> like, you're putting on a wig, and you're just going, it's like, oh, and I'm like, that is so, it's this big wig and a gnarly, ugly, massive mustache, and that's him, and it's like, really? I'm just gonna go for it because I just love this so much. I love this. I love them. Isn't it true that everyone worships because we were created to? And Jesus has an opinion on stuff. Friends, you've heard me say it recently, and I'll continue to say it. I'm gonna say it more often, and we're gonna get more involved with it. Jesus has an opinion about when life begins. Jesus has an opinion that life begins at, at conception. That when God makes that DNA strand of that first cell, that is a unique person. And I know that we can say, oh, Brian's just gonna get into political topics. Guys, if you know anything about me, I could give a rip about political topics but I give a rip about biblical topics. And so when people go, it's just a matter of opinion, it's not a matter of opinion. You don't get to just pick and choose the parts that life begins at conception. God is the one who weaves together, knits together a baby in mom's womb. And we could say, but what about and what if? And I just sit there and go, if all we do is what if, circumstantial ideas of morality, then we can do that with anything. But if God is the one who says this is right and this is wrong, then we hold to his standards. Guys, Jesus has an opinion about sexuality and marriage. Jesus has an opinion on this. Maybe for those, if you're dating, Jesus has an opinion for you that you're not supposed to engage in sexual activity outside of, of, outside of marriage. That he has saved that for marriage. And if you're engaged in that, he is calling you out to repentance. He's calling you to repent because he has an opinion on it. He has an opinion about marriage being between, between one man and one woman. He has an opinion on that. And again, we can jump back to, but this is, what, this is the camp I'm in. Isn't it amazing how we always have to align ourselves with a certain camp or team or side? Example, guys, I've been a Detroit Lions fan since high school, and I still don't understand why. <laughs> They're horrible. I think they almost made the playoffs. That's the best it's been. I tried to get away from them. The year after they didn't win a game, the whole season, I'm like, I'm done. I'm just going to pick the Vikings because I like their running back. I couldn't do it. I'm like, I'm, I feel like I'm bleeding blue and silver. I got to come back to the loser team because we're so committed to our side. <laughs> 
I need to challenge you guys. The way you vote should not dictate the way that you see Scripture, but the way that you see Scripture should dictate how you vote. If you're going to die on a hill, die on the things of what the Scriptures teach about and Jesus' opinion of them. And I pray you're hearing grace and truth mixed. That even for those, we talked about the topic of abortion and maybe you've had one. Can I tell you that there's forgiveness and maybe you've already gone to God with that and, and asked for forgiveness, but it's still that regret. Can I promise, can I give you this promise as far as the east is from the west? So has he removed your transgressions? He offers this as forgiveness because he loves you. For those who have engaged in sexual relationship outside of marriage, God's like, there's forgiveness in this, and I can redeem your past, or I can redeem the present, repent, confess it, and do what's right. Friends, God is the one, Jesus has an opinion on gender. That in the beginning, God created male and female. In the image of God, he created them. Women, you were created in the image of God, just as much as men are. Just as much as all the men in this room, it's like, because, well, Brian, we have to call him father. It's not that we have to call him father, we get to call him father. He's like, well, can't we just call him whatever? What if I want to call him mother? You can't. Why? Because when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, our father. He's like, this is how I want you to approach him. But male and female, God created them. God set standards and limits and boundaries for our good. And he has an opinion on them. And all of our opinions should be impacted by our understanding of Scripture. And we can sit there and go, but my feelings are like this, or I have these thoughts and ideas. And thoughts and ideas are amazing. And be creative. But friends, all of our thoughts, all of our feelings are tainted by our sinful depravity. Friends, the heart is evil. It leads us into all these sin, all these sinful choices. And so I have to take every thought captive just because I think something does not mean that that thing is now correct. Even if I know Jesus, I know that I'm a new creation. The Bible tells us that the old is gone, the new has come, but it does not automatically mean that now my thoughts have been completely purified so that every thought that I have is biblical. Am I the only one that really believes that? Have you come to that place you've arrived? Of course not. Every feeling I have is not legitimate, it's not holy before God. But I come back to what is it that God says about it because what if Think about it, parents. We set limits on our kids. Why? Because we love them. Is it possible that the reason that God sets up limits, commandments, statutes are because he loves us? Is it possible that we've looked at it going, okay, wait, pull back for just a second. Instead of everyone just going to do whatever they want. Because that turns into anarchy and chaos. Death and destruction. That's all it goes toward. Could we pull back for just a second and think, every good parent will set limits and guidelines. This is what I want, this is what I want you to do. We'll challenge our kids. Why? Because we want to see them excel and improve. Is it possible that our Father in heaven is a better parent than we are? And that what he has set up is right. And his opinions are true. Is it possible?
that maybe we can be just as guilty at disputing with Jesus as anybody else is. The fact that Jesus got in the debate means that Jesus isn't afraid to share his opinion. But please understand this, as I brought up a few of the things. Church, our response to those who are still engaged in it or still struggling with it or still fighting against God in that is grace. We love them. We keep telling them truth, but we love them because I don't deserve the grace of God and I don't deserve a restored relationship with God. I don't deserve it. No one on the planet does. And so our, my response should be, God, in gratitude and worship to you, I will go and I'll listen and I'll love and I'll instruct and I'll show them Jesus and trust you, God, to do the miraculous. Because I believe, Jesus, your opinion is true and right do we really believe that he's right in all things? Think about that. Do you actually truly believe that Jesus is right in everything? No? Then you have to ask yourself, then what is the standard? What is the standard of truth? And for some, it's like, well, it's just what you think or feel. It's my opinion. I know, but why is your opinion then greater than somebody else's opinion? And why would my, my opinion be greater than anybody else's or yours greater than mine? And do you see how that argument just continues to go in this cycle? Nothing ever gets accomplished and taken care of because we all just get to live however we want. But what if we sit there and go, hey, there is truth that's outside of my opinion. And there's parts in this Bible that I don't like. I don't like when it tells me to forgive those who hurt me. I don't want to. But I trust God in his omnipotence and omniscience. God knows I need to forgive them. Why? One, I cannot expect the forgiveness of God if I'm not willing to forgive others. But he also knows that unforgiveness of soul and spirit will put this chain around my soul and lead to bitterness that impacts every aspect of my life and every relationship that I have. And so is it possible, I said, instead of saying, God, I don't feel like doing this, I say, God, I wanna do this because I love you. And if that's all I've got right now, then that's all I'm going with. But God, I'm gonna to hold to your truth because I love you. I'm gonna follow you because I love you. I'm gonna obey your word the best that I can because I love you. But God, I can't do this by myself. I can't do what's right. I can't do this because I'm prone to wander. There's nothing good in and of myself. But oh, the Holy Spirit's in me. And he empowers me and empowers you to live holy lives set apart to the glory of Jesus. Do we really believe that he's right in all things? Maybe no, but maybe yes. And if you do, can others tell? Others around you, can they tell that you actually believe him in everything, that he's right? So the scribe sees the wisdom of Jesus, and he walks up to Jesus at the end of verse 28 and says, which commandment is the most important of all? Guys, that's a heck of a question. If I walked up to you and said, hey, can you tell me all the 10 commandments? Can you nail them? You're like, oh, crud, you're, are you really gonna do that? Let me get a mic, hold on just a sec. I'm just joking, I'm not gonna do that. But can you imagine, I said, hey, I want all 10. And out of the 10, which is the most important, this is the top 10. But here comes the guy going, out of the 613 commandments that are in the first five books of the Bible, 
Which is the most important? Which is the top one? Watch Jesus' response. Verse 29, Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Think about it. Out of every commandment that God could ever give, the greatest, the top one, guys, it's not even this, thou shalt not. Jesus is saying the top one, just love God. Just love God with everything you got. That's the top one. Where does he get this? Well, it's known as the Shema. It comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. It's what every faithful Jewish person back in the day, and even today, that they would say this twice a day, morning and evening. In the morning, they wake up. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul and with all your might. Then they go throughout their day. And then before they go to bed, they say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then they go to sleep. Wake up the next morning, and guess what they do? The same thing. Go to bed, same thing. Every day, they would go through this, what a great reminder. What would it do for us if, you, if we, we all went to sleep tonight and just separately said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That's what he's called me to do. And when we wake up tomorrow, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And someone said there and go, yeah, but it would just become kind of a routine. But what a beautiful routine. Just get back to the thing that's most important to the heart of God. The word Shema means to hear that out of the 613 commandments, the thing that God wants the most is just to love him. When we go back to Deuteronomy chapter six and we look in the Hebrew language, when it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord, that word Lord is the word Yahweh. Actually, it's Yahweh. There's no vowels in it. So it's just Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. That's the name of God. In Exodus 3, when, Moses tell, when God tells Moses, you're going to lead my people out of, out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he comes with all these excuses, and one was this, hey, if they ask me your name, what should I tell them? Like, what's your name? What's your secret name? And he says, I am who I am. Tell them that. Here's what Yahweh means. In the name of Yahweh, there are two key parts. One, that he is self-existent. He does not need anyone else to believe that he exists in order to exist. He does not need any of us to define who he is. He is not a people-pleasing God. He's not, hey, I'll be this for this person and I'll be this for this person. He is who he is. That's why he tells Moses, I will be who I will be. I am who I am. There's also, though, in his name, this idea of covenant-keeping. This self-existent God is a covenant-keeping God. In the name of God is the idea that God desires relationship with us. That when God makes covenant with us, he does not relent from that covenant. He does not turn away from that covenant. He's faithful. And then that word God. So here, is, here O Israel, the Lord our God. So Yahweh our Elohim, Yahweh is one. So you get to the word God. Here's what's interesting about the word God. It's the, it's the word Elohim. 
but it's written in the plural form. Guys, I'm a singular person. There's nothing plural about me. What you see is what you get, one guy. But then you get to this word God in the Hebrew language, and it's plural. Well, why do you need something that's plural? Why do you need a word that's plural for a singular God? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Guys, the Jewish people that's, that don't believe in, the, in Jesus as being the Messiah, they're still waiting for the Messiah to show up, they do not believe in this idea of the Trinity. And yet in the Old Testament, in just the name God, being that it's plural, there's a rabbi that I read, is Rabbi Simeon ben Jokai. And he said this about that word Elohim. Listen and see whether or not it sounds Trinitarian in belief. Listen to what he says. Not a believer in Jesus doesn't believe that God has three parts or three persons in one God. Come and see the mystery of the word Elohim. There are three degrees and each degree by itself alone and yet notwithstanding they are all one and joined together in one and are not divided from each other. And I listen to that and I go, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, separate, three persons in one. Not separate but together, yet separate but the same. It's in the name. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that word, Lord, or that word one, one, it means that God's rule is supreme. Second, that God is unique and that God is united. Why does God need to be united unless there is this trinity to the Godhead and they're all united as one? So in other words, in order to come to love God as the greatest thing that we could do for him, you actually have to believe in the one true God. You don't get to pick your own God. You don't get to make him up however you want to. We have to devour the pages of the scriptures, have the Holy Spirit inspire, and Jesus reveal to us the truth of who God is. I don't get to make him up, friends. That's called idolatry. The parts that I don't like, then I ask God, would you soften me to those parts of you that I don't agree with? The parts that really kind of rub me wrong, would you, would you take me and mold me? Would you soften not, your, not who you are, but soften me to who you are? Guys, I get we come to God with baggage and backgrounds. For some of you, your background is not Jesus at all. I mean, you were so far from Jesus, but maybe your background is you met some of his followers that you can't stand, and that's given you a bad taste of who God is. Maybe for others, he brought up in this church, like a church that just kind of was a little bit angry. You know what I'm talking about? They're all about the rules. They forget about the relationship. They like the rules. They like who gets to be in charge, and they're going to show that. And all of a sudden, as you're listening to that person, it's always the same person, and it's like, oh, he's always telling me I've got to submit to him because he's God's anointed. And isn't it weird we think of God's anointed as being the pastor? Guys, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus who has a specific role to be a pastor. But it's not like at some point I walked in, took a shower in the anointing of God, and then I became Moses to you. It's not like, Brian, go to the mountain of God so you can hear from God and tell us what, what he's saying. No, no, we all can do that. But my job is to shepherd and care for you. To devour the scriptures and say, okay, I'm gonna preach the word as best I can and point you all to Jesus. Jesus, not me. Jesus, not even this church. Jesus. My job is to care for your souls. It's to preach the truth. And at times, friends, I'm gonna have to preach some things that some people aren't gonna like and you won't even bite the shepherd. But I gotta do it. Because I believe Jesus is right in everything. So my role is just to care for you and to keep us all going in the same direction. 
What's the direction? Love God, love people, make disciples who make disciple makers. Pretty much the two main things that Jesus told us to do as the church. Let's just stay focused on that. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God. Verse 30, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The word love in the, in the Greek is the word agapao. And it means to have a great affection or care for someone. But it also means a loyalty to. So friends, it's not just this brotherly affection, like brotherly sister affection. Like I, God, you and I, we're tight. I feel it. No, 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 God, we're tight, and I'm committed even when I don't feel tight. I'm loyal to you. I'm in covenant with you. I'm committed to you no matter what. The Hebrew word that's used in Deuteronomy for love is the word ahab. And Daniel Block writes this. He's a, he's a scholar. He says, Hebrew ahab or love refers to covenant commitment demonstrated in actions that seek the well-being and pleasure of one's covenant partner. In other words, we walk out of here and we say, God, what could I do today that just makes you happy? What could I do? And again, let's get away from that. It's got to be something massive. What if it's something that no one will ever notice? No one will take a picture. No one will post it. Social media world will have no clue it even happened. It will be done in secret. (gasps) But what does Jesus say about doing things in secret in the the gospel? I'm sorry, in in the Sermon on the Mount. He even says, when you go pray, go into a quiet closet by yourself and pray to your father who sees and hears you and what you're doing in secret. Compared to all the ones that like to go out and pray so everyone's noticing, oh, look how spiritual they are. Oh my gosh, they're amazing. God, Jesus says, hey, they've gotten their reward in full, which pretty much is the applause of people. Jesus honors what's done in secret. I challenge you this week, don't post a thing about anything you're doing. Oh, <gasps> But how will people know? You ever had anyone get offended you because you didn't realize that they posted something massive about their life, but you weren't checking there, you weren't sitting there going, I just spend all of my day on your social media feed because I have no life. I'm just reading it constantly. What if you just didn't do it for a while? It's like, well, how would they know? I don't know, call them. Send them an update. Do one of those old school printout newsletter, family newsletters, just to make people get the paper going, I can't, how do you, how do you turn this on? <laughs> what if we did it old school? What if for a week we didn't post anything because we actually wanted to try to apply, do this in secret so that nobody knows? What if, what if you just paid for someone's lunch this afternoon and they had no clue? What if you ask, when you go out to lunch, you ask the server, hey, can we pray for you or get ready to pray for our meal? Can we pray for you? It was just between y'all. My neighbor and I have told you this before, Sal, at a whim, win him over. And I have, we have, remember, we have this competition, who takes in the trash cans first? And this dude in his 80s, he destroys me every week. Like, I don't know if he's just sitting there waiting. Okay. Here it comes, 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 here it comes. And both my trash cans are up by the gate every time. And so I remember, I think it was last week, he's outside. And I looked at him. I looked at him. I said, Sal, no. I win today. And I grabbed two at the same time. 
with two stints and all, walked it up, bam, put him up his gate. I win today, Sally goes, you win today. I was like, champion. This week I'll lose, but whatever. What if we just do stuff like that? And what if this week when I say at the end of the, at the, end of the, the message, hey, who's the one? Who's the one today? What if you actually did it? What if today you found the one? You found one. And you started a conversation to see where it goes, Jesus. What if? And no one ever knew about it. Except heaven. Because you love him. Guys, notice that all this starts with the Lord. The Lord is mentioned three times. Hear Israel, the Lord our God. Like there's one Lord, 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 Lord. But all of it starts with what God does. Jeremiah 31, 33, followers of Jesus, look at what God did first. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Do you know how this was brought into reality? Through Jesus. This is the covenant that we live in now, and God is the one who did it, and God is the one who started it. Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Notice what God does. He doesn't say, I will do this if, I will do this if. No, no, or you need to, you need to. You. No, no, he's saying, I will do these things. The God who made the covenant is the God who made the covenant possible. Friends, our coming to faith in Jesus is a gift of God. Our loving God with everything is a gift of God. And with this, what God has done, our response should be what? Love him. Just love him with everything. Love him for everything that he's done. We turn our affections toward him. We obey him. Our opinions come under his opinions and th of things. Guys, it's about him. God, I just love you. I love you. God, I love you. I want to do this because I love you. And so when we look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, and now Israel, what does the Lord our God ask of you except to fear the Lord your God by walking in all his ways to love him? Guys, that's what he's invited us to. He's called us. He's commanded, love me. Love me. What does it look like? Listen to these words from David. It's in our Bible reading plan, if you're part of the Bible reading plan. <clears throat> he said this. He says, I, I've asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire. Listen to this. Like, think of it. If God walked up and said, I'll give you one thing, whatever you want. Oh, don't lie. You sit there and go, mm, a billion dollars. <laughs> it's a temptation, right? He says, this is the one thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek. Watch. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's where he starts. He's like, I just want to have a slumber party with God. Like, I don't want to be in my own little house. Friends, I don't want heaven to have a bunch of mansions. I don't want my own mansion. You got to clean your own mansion. I don't want that. I want a room in his house. I want slumber parties with Jesus. He's like, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, not just in heaven now, 
listen to this, gazing on the beauty of the Lord. Guys, it's one thing to look at something. We will look at something all day long. Guys, we will take in so much information, we have no clue how much will come into our minds. And we'll go from one thing to one thing to boom, 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 boom. But when you stop and you gaze, it's different. And, but hopefully it's not at a person and then they catch you. You ever been daydreaming towards someone? Like Eddie, I'm not really good, but I'm just, I'm, I'm using it as an example. I'm daydreaming in the direction of Eddie and all of a sudden Eddie catches my eye. I'm just staring. And all of a sudden I notice, I'm like, oh crud, how long have I been looking at you? And they have that weird feeling. But here comes, here comes David. Hey, you know what I want more? I want to dwell in his house. I want to gaze. I want to stare at. I want to look at. I don't want to take my eyes or my focus off of what? The beauty. The beauty of the Lord. Like, God, you are so ravishing and beautiful. That does not come from merely doing things for him. That comes from spending time with him to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. To seek means I'm not going to look once and then walk away. It's called hide and seek. And you don't want to be it again in hide and seek, do you? Because if, if you're it more than once, you suck. <laughs> I want to gaze in the beauty of the Lord. I want to dwell in the house of all my days of my life. I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I want to seek him in his temple or our understanding. I want to seek him in his presence. It means I've got to set aside time just to do that. And guys, I know he's sitting there, Brian, there's a lot on my plate. I know. But what if you hold that plate or that baby that takes a ton of time? And what if you gaze on the Lord with that baby? And what if you gaze on the Lord with that family? And what if you gaze on the Lord with that life that he's given you? What if we did it? What if we engaged him in every aspect of our lives rather than just showing up on a Sunday morning thinking that's gazing, but that's not? What if we learned to gaze on the beauty of the Lord? What if we learned to want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life, to seek him with everything we got? What if it became that? Because doesn't that sound like loving him? Rather than just do what you're supposed to and shut up. The worship team comes back up. I said before, I say it again, the most important thing in life is to love the one and only God. That's it. The most important thing in life is to love God the one and only covenant-keeping, self-existent, perfect, true, holy God. Just love him. Gaze on him. Seek after him. Dwell with him. But why? What's the benefit? I'll run with this for a second. Because the scriptures actually teach it. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants. And that's a, weird way to, that's a weird way to word it, right? He'll circumcise your hearts. In other words, he's gonna change you. But God is the one who does the work. Notice it's God doing the work. He will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants and you will love him 
with all of your heart and all your soul. Here it is, so that, here's why God wants to love you. This is why God's gonna change us so that we can love him with everything we got. So that you will live. Guys, when I look up that word live, there's an idea of green, something flowing or fresh like water, lively and active, a life that is reviving. It means to have a prosperous life, bountiful, blessed, favorable circumstances. Do you hear God saying this? I'm gonna change your heart so you'll love me with everything you have and I'm gonna put these boundaries on you called commandments that are based on the fact that I love you like crazy and I'm giving you these things because I want you to live. I want to bless you. I wanna just give you life. Do you see the heart of God now? Don't obey just because he just sets up rules. We can do it and just shut up. Oh, he sets them up because he loves us. And he actually wants us to love him with everything. Why? So that we can actually live. In other words, loving God is for our good. And so my question to you is, do you love God? Last thought, and then we're going to go into the time of communion. I wrote this in my notes. God desires to capture your heart, not merely change your conduct. God desires to capture your heart, not merely change your conduct. Friends, following Jesus, it's not just the list of things. Following Jesus is about Jesus. It's about loving Jesus, wanting time with Jesus, wanting to do what Jesus does, go where Jesus goes, to love and to serve him, to do what you know pleases him, to gaze upon his beauty, to seek him in his presence, to dwell in his presence constantly, not just moment to moment, but like constant, just I will hear and then later, no, 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 all day, every day. God, I just want more of you. Jesus, I want to be with you because I love you. And shouldn't that impact how we love others? Yeah. And we love him because he first loved us, friends. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, this is the time where we remember Jesus' love for us. He gave his life up. His body was broken and his blood was shed for us on the cross and he took our place because he loves us. And we take and remember now, in remembrance, we take together these elements. And so I'm gonna pray and then during this time where we sing this last song, you worship and then you take when you're ready. But before you do, you're supposed to ask God, God, is there anything in my life that is rebellious against you? Is there sin in my life I haven't confessed? And then confess it. Agree with him that it's sin, repent from it, and take with grateful hearts because there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. So can I pray for us? And then when you're ready, you can take the elements. If you didn't get, uh, if you didn't get the elements, uh, there's some back at the Connect Center if you want to grab that, you can. If you don't want to take it today, it's totally fine. You don't have to. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the work that you've done in our lives. For those of us who, who know you and love you, thank you that you're the one who drew us. You're the one who changed us, that we could love you. God, for those who are here that don't love you, they don't know you, they haven't surrendered to Jesus, God, would you please do a great work? Would you bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ that they could surrender to his lordship, believing that he died on a cross, came back from the dead, and to receive your gift of salvation and be indwelt by your spirit God, thank you for all the work you did. And so, Jesus, in this time, 
We remember your body broken and your blood shed. We love you. We love you. Help us love you more. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know.